All of our minds are filled with ideas, opinions, views, many of which arise out of greed, aggression, and delusion. All of our minds, unless we're enlightened, we all are ignorant to some extent. We are not seen clearly. That water of the mind, that lake, that pond, it has ripples. It is distorting our reality. So right view, if anything, that's it. What is creating the peace, the harmony, that alignment with reality? What is directing us to the non-greed, non-aggression, non-delusion? That is how you know you are walking out of right view. Mindfulness Outreach Initiative is a nonprofit insight meditation organization located in Omaha, Nebraska. We provide meditation instruction based on ethics, compassion, and wisdom, as well as social outreach programs based on transformation and healing. To join the MOI community or to practice generosity, please visit our website at mindfulnessoutreachinitiative.org. All right, welcome online. Welcome in person, all of you here. Glad you made it. Let's just take a breath. Just arrive, settle as we transition. Coming into the space, feeling the body, tuning into our hearts, tasting the flavor of our mind. So I'll start off with some announcements. End of August is our next retreat, just planting that seed. If you want to rest the mind, give it a vacation of sorts, intensify practice. Also want to encourage people to visit our website, check the schedule to know what's happening, what's not happening. I know we work, we're trying to keep that up to date. Also encourage all of you to subscribe to our YouTube and podcast just want to also thank Madeline for the air conditioner. We've had a broken air conditioner for the last month. Been a little warm in this space. Thank you, Madeline, for your generosity. This is a form of Donna. What a wonderful form of Donna that is. Just encourage you all to if you feel inspired. We, we love the support. We're all supporting each other, be it through money, through volunteer, through... We also have an Amazon Smile. I don't know if anyone knows that. I've been supporting MOI through Amazon Smile for quite a few years, and it actually does add up. Amazon Smile. So instead of going to Amazon.com, go to smile.amazon.com, and you can pick your charity of choice. Just put in, I believe, Mindfulness Outreach Initiative, and you just click us, and we get a percentage back of percentage of all your purchases. So it's a way to support us. And final announcement is if any of you are wanting some one-on-one -on -one support in your practice, if you just want to talk things out, you can ask any of us teachers, me specifically, I have time, I love listening, I can try to support you in any way you need. If you have a question, I may not be able to help, who knows, I could make things worse, but hey, that's practice too. 
But just know we're here for you as teachers, that if you are needing support or wanting to talk, don't hesitate to ask, reach out. That's all I got. Yay! Probably best to sit first. Otherwise, we might not get a chance. So this will be a short sit, because I really do want to talk. I have some material I want to go over and give ample time, but I also want to respect that this space is to stop for a moment, that this is a safe place to just let kind of the so-called outside world go. So go ahead and uh, we'll sit silently for five minutes. Just come into your body, connect to the breath, connect to the sounds, do open awareness, just whatever your practice is, whatever feels comfortable, whatever helps the mind still become calm and peaceful. Embrace.
amazing what even five minutes can do. I say that because for the longest time, I just was so stuck not sitting long enough. This expectation of what sitting is supposed to look like. I can let that go. And oh my goodness, by letting that go, how much more freeing that was that I can embrace that, oh, I have a couple minutes. I have five minutes. I have 10 minutes. Let me just rest and just stop. That image of drop by drop, the water bucket gets full. So even throughout the day, yeah, I may not be doing an hour, but if I can do six, 10 minute sessions a day, there's my hour. What I'm saying is just a little by little, because even that five minutes, I say that to remind myself more than emphasizing you. You probably all know this already. Like, yeah, five minutes, don't you know? It's wonderful. So last month, my last talk, I talked about the overall path, this path we're on, the Eightfold Path, what we call it. Tonight, I'm going to talk about first factor, which is called right view or wise view, skillful view. I said it last time, but this, it's not so much right and wrong, like good and bad. It's direction, that we're going the right direction. If we have the right view, we're heading the right way. Versus the wrong view, we're going the opposite way. We're missing the mark, so to speak. We're going farther from the destination. And the destination, of course, is this liberation. We call it enlightenment, awakening, nirvana, nibbana. So that is what right means. What is pointing us towards that destination of liberation? And distinguishing mark of Nibbana is peace. Peace isn't the goal, but if there's more peacefulness in your mind, peacefulness in your life, peacefulness in your sitting, that's a sign that you are heading the right direction. Not to say we don't get agitated and you're not going the right direction, but overall, again, those drop by drops. Overall, is there more peace versus more agitation? And I heard someone call it the peaceometer when we're sitting. What's the peaceometer at? Full peace or full agitation? Where, where's that at and how does it fluctuate? And so hopefully as we practice, as we continue to let go, as we continue walking this path in the right direction, the peaceometer tends to stay more towards the peace side, less agitation. Or if it does go to agitation, we can recognize it and let that go. And instantly in the letting go, in the acceptance, there's peace. So I guess what I'm saying is this right view really is connected with the signpost of peace. Again, this path is broken up 
we can think of it in three lakes. You have, the, when it's talked about the three trainings, we talk about the morality piece, being first. Got to have your actions, speech, livelihood, going the right direction. And then if you're acting, speaking, all that is in accord, there's peace in that, then when we go to meditation, the other leg, the second leg of meditation, oh, how much easier it is to become still, to become peaceful, and cultivate that peace. And with the peace and the stillness of mind comes the clarity, like water, being still, like glass. It reflects everything around it, much clearer than when it's agitated. So if we're being mean, being cruel, not acting very skillfully in our life, it has effects. So we get in arguments, we have confrontations, we get more struggle or something's going on. So when we go to sit and meditate, where's the peaceometer going to be? So the third leg comes the wisdom part. And so when it's still, when it's reflecting by skillful actions and speech, which leads to skillful meditation, clarity, we start gaining the wisdom. And that's the experiential wisdom. That just comes from practice. That is real knowing, experiential knowing, not book knowledge, conceptual knowledge. But when we talk of the Eightfold Path, the wisdom leg is first. This right, it starts with right view. The whole path is built on right view. Thing about the wisdom part in the beginning is this is conceptual knowledge. It's not quite experiential knowledge. It's pointing you where you need to go. All right, the map. This is the map. This is the GPS. You have the terrain. You have a picture of it. It has where you're supposed to go, little landmarks, but it's not the actual journey itself. But at least you have an idea of where you're going. So that's what I'm trying to unpack tonight. This right view. Where are we going? How do we know that we are going the right direction? We are seeing clearly. So what is right view? Well, traditionally, if you go in the text, like it's pretty simple. Right view is understanding the Four Noble Truths. That's what this whole path's about, this study of dukkha. Dukkha being dissatisfaction, or I really like the translation, bumpy ride. That's really the translation, bad hole, like an axle hole, a bent axle. And so we're going along life. It's pretty bumpy. It's rarely smooth. So dukkha is a bumpy ride, and it's this dissatisfaction. Well, why, why is life bumpy? Some of it's unavoidable, but a lot of it's our own making. A lot of it is our own making. And it's because of craving. Wanting, not wanting, in an unskillful way. Not seeing clearly. All this craving really is out of ignorance. Ignorance is the root of our bumpy ride. But it's easier to understand craving Wanting, this thirsting is how it's defined, that this just unquenchable thirst can't have enough. And even when we have it, it's not enough. 
And if we don't have it, oh my goodness, I have to have it. And that craving, that tightening, that's what we're studying. That relationship between the craving and how it causes suffering, causes the bumpy ride. So in a way, right view is also understanding cause and effect. What we call karma. Another way of thinking of right view is we are trying to see as the Buddha saw. A little hard, but what did he see? He saw the Dharma. Four Noble Truths is the base of the Dharma. All the Dharma revolves around the Four Noble Truths, but so many of his teachings. You hear us talk on all these different subjects. It's all Dharma, and it's really seeing it clearly as best as we can. That's the view. Another way of thinking of it, we focus a lot on suffering, a lot on the unpleasant, the dissatisfaction, discontent. That's another, another definition of dukkha I like is discontent. Because what's the opposite of discontent? That contentment. And what is the quality of contentment? Ah, peace. So it's also not just understanding suffering, but also happiness. It's that relationship. That's view two, understanding suffering and not suffering. Happiness, not happiness. What causes that cause and effect? What causes dissatisfaction, discontent? What are the causes for contentment, peace, ease, well-being? We really are students. This path is really asking us to be a student, to constantly be learning. The I don't know mind. Having the cup be empty. Don't let your cup get full. Always keep an empty cup so you have room to keep learning. Room for more. The Buddha also said that right view is to have confidence and faith that there are people who have been able to transform their suffering, who have been actually able to awaken, become enlightened. That's another part of right view. It's called right view because it works. We can see it in others. If you're around community and you see people progress and really dedicated practitioners, you can see them struggle, but you can see also the transformation. One retreat, there's this nun. This was my, the only time I went on a monastic retreat. And this nun, probably in her 50s, I mean, she was a middle-aged woman, but her smile, her way of being was like a six-year-old. And it was infectious. That is what I remember. Like, this woman is happy. This woman is filled with joy. You can tell it works for her, whatever she has done, her journey, and how she's sharing it. And it was just inspiring. I could have the joy and laughter and, of a six-year-old, you know, that kind of freedom, that kind of playfulness. So seeing people like that gives confidence that, yeah, this path, 
There's something to it. So another way of defining right view. So that's traditional. But what does it really mean? How do we really know? So right view is whatever leads to peace, stillness, harmony, leads to the disappearing of the unnecessary problems of life, and leads to awakening. That teaching, the Kalama Sutta, the litmus test. How do you know what's truth? How do you know if it's working for you? Is it producing more greed, more aggression, more delusion? Or non-greed, non-aggression, non-delusion? And what is non-greed? So many things could be non-greed, non-aggression, non-delusion. That's the view. It's understanding that we need to purify the mind instead of filling it up with rubbish and junk. In a way, that's right consumerism. We could add that to the path. And what are we consuming with all the world of screens we live in? We are getting bombarded by ads, by videos, by sounds and music. And, you know, what is wholesome? What is unwholesome? What are we consuming in our life? Is it adding to more greed, aggression, delusion, or non-greed, non-aggression, non-delusion? And right view is questioning everybody and everything and not taking any teachings or any actions on faith alone. That blind faith that, oh, they said it, so it must be true. Right view is knowing that you have to do this for yourself. You have to discover what the map says you have to go on the journey and discover like, yeah, this map is right. Or no, actually, there's a mistake here. The, the river turned. It's actually over here. And you can make course corrections. Real right view is common sense. I liked that. It's just simple. What is common sense? Our hearts know. If we can get out of our own way, get out of our thinking, really tune into our heart and gut, our intuition. We know what's, what's good. We know the mind inclines to peace naturally. I read this, and I don't know, because you can put the causes and conditions in for peace, but what this was saying is that peace is not born. Peace is actually not conditioned, which means if peace is the mark of awakening, of nirvana, then peace is already there. We're born. The mind naturally is peaceful. And what we have to do is purify it. And as we purify it and uncover the, the stuff, pull up the weeds, we tap into that peace. So yeah, if we can get out of our own way, out of that thinking mind, really tune into the heart, it will align itself to where it needs to go to find that peace, to go back to its natural state of peacefulness, of Luminosity is another way of seeing this awakened in nature, our Buddha nature. It's there. So why is right view important? Well, it's the foundation of the path. It's going to lead to skillfulness. The end of the path is also... We're talking about wisdom, but when you go into three trainings, what's the end? Oh, wisdom. It will lead to clear seeing, to 
skillfulness. And on that journey, it's skillful action, skillful speech, skillful livelihood, more effort, more awareness, all these wholesome qualities. So if we're going on the right direction, that stuff increases in our life. And it's not just benefits us. When we are peaceful, when we are joyful, when we are happy, when we are that six-year-old version of ourselves filled with joy, the people around us, they're going to want to be around us. It's infectious. But when we're, you know, closed off, bitter, stinky, you know, really not a joy to be around, it affects others. They don't want to be around us or then they get grumpy and negative and unhappy. It's amazing how our energies influence each other. So under this wisdom, right view and what's next? Right intention. Those two make up the wisdom piece. So they're really intimately connected. And so that's why right view is important too, because it's the springboard for right intention. And quickly, the three right intentions are kindness, non-harming or compassion, and letting go or renunciation. That is what starts, and everything arises out of those intentions. Karma is born of our intentions. Again, the way, after intention comes right speech, right action, and right livelihood. So our actual morality leg of the path rests on top of our intentions. And our intentions are influenced by the views we hold. So whatever view creates these beautiful intentions of kindness, compassion, and letting go, that is what's meant by right view. Once we understand that everything we think, say, or do is a cause that leads inevitably to some effect now or in the future, we will naturally want to think, say, and do things that lead to positive results and avoid those thoughts, words, and deeds that lead to negative ones. It's really understanding which seeds are we watering. Watering the flowers and the fruit, or are we watering the weeds? Another way of thinking of intention, maybe, is aim. Right aim, I like that, since I'm talking about a map and a direction. Where are we aiming our direction? Right view guides us. Right view is important because it is also very intimately connected to perception. We talk about the five aggregates, that this is what makes this being that we call self, we call our name. We think of it as solid, but it's really these five processes going on all the time. Form, body, that's easy to see. Feeling, experience has this pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Next is perception. So the labels that we are labeling our experience all the time, what we're perceiving. And then off of those perceptions come our thoughts. That's the 
mental formations, all those stories, all that commentary, opinions, judgment, that craziness of our mind that we try to sit with sometimes. And then the overall consciousness, that pure awareness of mind, that knowing quality of mind, that wisdom aspect of mind. So really it's body and mind. But those, I say feelings in between, I think feelings kind of connects body and mind a little bit. I, don't, I think feelings on its own, it's not just mind, but perceptions, thoughts, consciousness, that's the mind. So how we perceive affects how we view things. It forms our beliefs, forms our views, how we perceive our world or how we're taught to perceive. And our perceptions affect our moods or our moods affect our perceptions. When you're happy, how are you seeing things? Oh, life is wonderful. When you're depressed, how are you viewing things? Oh, life sucks. Everything is against me. Just those shifts in moods. You can give someone a, a field of roses and all they'll see is the thorn. But you can give someone a weed and all they see is the flower. That's the power of perception. And Perception leads to that gratefulness or ungratefulness, contentment, discontentment. Most of our suffering comes from wrong perceptions. Where there is perception, there is deception. So don't be fooled by perception. We have to ask ourselves, am I sure? Am I sure? Am I certain of this? Until we see clearly, our wrong perceptions will prevent us from having right view. So realistic perception is the goal. When we see clearly, when we're perceiving clearly, we're knowing clearly. And out of that comes the insights, comes the wisdom. And how do we do this? Through effort, through mindfulness, through meditation. Mindfulness, the answer is always mindfulness. How do we do it? Mindfulness, of course. It's about being realistic, not optimistic, not pessimistic, realistic. That's the middle way. Avoid the extremes. Come to the middle. It's middle way. It's realism. And being real means that we're not running away from the unpleasant or chasing the pleasant. We're just being with reality as it is. We perceive something. The mind immediately labels, categorizes, judges, all these associations, memory. I mean, it happens so quick. And then we put things in those three boxes. That's where feeling comes in. It's pleasant, it's unpleasant, or it's neither. That's how fast that process is. See something, we're perceiving it, flower, like flower. Oh, ugly flower. Want it, don't want it. And that's microseconds, how fast perceptions and all this happens in our mind. When we're seeing clearly, we're not, we're just seeing. We're just being with the perception. We can see the label, we can label it. Or maybe you can go beyond and just be with the experience. I told this story before that, I want to say it was Lao Tzu, I don't know, some ancient wise teacher used to go on a morning sunrise hike and he'd 
go take one student every morning. But the rule was, you just have to be. No speaking, no talking, just be with the experience. Be mindful, be aware. And so this new student was invited to go with this great master to watch the sunrise. He's so excited, he's so honored. Oh, I get to go and be with the master and what? So he'd never been on this journey before. And you know, if it's a beautiful morning, going in nature, finally get to the top of the mountain as the sun's starting to break, the light's breaking, and then he can just see the beauty of the pinks, the oranges, that golden light, just this awe. He's overcome with awe. And what does he do? Oh, this is so beautiful, Master. Couldn't help himself. And the Master just gives him this look and starts walking down. And the student, I think, knew. It's like, oh, no. Now, so at the end, the teacher goes, you weren't watching the sunrise. You were thinking about the sunrise. So when we're perceiving, it is possible to just be without thinking of it. Just being with it, the essence of our experience. That is real perception. Really the essence of perception. Perceptions always have a mark. And in many cases, this mark is an illusion. We regard all objects, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, as permanent, as possessing a self, and as capable of giving us permanent happiness or causing us permanent misery. So we talk about the three marks of existence. Right view is seeing that everything is impermanent. And what is impermanent is unsatisfactory. And it doesn't possess a permanent self because it's impermanent. But a deluded mind, wrong view, not seen clearly, sees things as this will last a long time. I will live forever. This body won't get sick. Oh, I might. I won't get cancer. This person will be in my life forever. So we see permanence. And because we think it's permanent, oh, it's always going to give me happiness. This is satisfying. Need this to be happy. But things change. And if it changes and where happiness is dependent on it, we suffer. That's the mark. So what mark are we seeing? Are we perceiving in our experience? So how do we actually practice right view? I mean, this is where we're starting from. We really want to establish a strong foundation to build upon. I mean, we can practice any aspect of the path. Effort and mindfulness are in every aspect. That's going to strengthen everything. But view is the foundation. Everything rests on how we are perceiving, how we are viewing things. And that's going to affect how we act in the world. So number one, we practice by studying dukkha and the cause of dukkha, the Four Noble Truths. Dukkha being suffering, discontent, dissatisfaction, 
dis-ease. I mean, there's so many words we can say. That bumpy ride. Why is life bumpy? How are my actions creating a more bumpy ride than it needs to be? So really looking at this and studying it. And if we really are seeing clearly, we see the marks of existence, we can see that suffering, there's an aspect of it in everything. Can you truly see that? That somehow this is impermanent, this is suffering, this is not self. And then the cause of discontent is that craving, that clinging, that grasping. And that all arises out of ignorance. And that's ignorance that things are impermanent. It's ignorance that things are inherently unsatisfactory and that ignorance that it's not self. It's not seeing those three marks. But it's not easy to see that. So we practice right view by practicing mindfulness and putting the effort, being mindful, being aware, being mindful of the cause and effect, being mindful of which seeds in the mind we're watering, the wholesome or the unwholesome, the flowers or the weeds. That consciousness. I remember this chart in cognitive psychology my class I took a while ago. And what I remember is that if it's four quadrants, one quadrant is what we call consciousness, what we're actually aware. So that's quadrant one. Quadrant two, I'll get to in a minute, but three and four is the unconscious. And somehow through the unconscious, it goes to quadrant two, which we're not quite aware of, kind of, but not quite. And then that enters into awareness. So three-fourths, 75% of our so-called consciousness we're not aware of. That's how much stuff is happening under the surface we have no idea. So these seeds that are dormant, and I think Mark even mentioned that, these dormant seeds that come to fruition in the future. Like, what happened? Well, it's these seeds come to fruition come, that we've been watering. We had no idea they were there. But yeah, we're filled with these seeds. So through our thoughts, speech, and actions through the greed, aggression, delusion, or non-greed, non-aggression, non-delusion, that's what are we watering under that soil that we have no idea. So that's the importance of mindfulness, really being aware of just that one quadrant, <laughs> what's happening, and hopefully that affects the rest. This is a training. It's a practice. It's asking ourselves, examining, studying what is likely to lead to positive results, what is likely to lead to negative results. The positive towards non greed, non aggression, non delusion, that's right view. The results of greed, aggression, delusion, well, that's some wrong view leading you. You're going the wrong way. Turn around. As I was listening to talks about right view, came across a talk that said right view of relationship. And I want to bring this up 
because we all are in relationships. Mike, identify as single. No, I'm not in a relationship. Yes, you are. You're in a relationship with yourself. You're in a relationship with family. You're in a relationship with friends. You're in a relationship with coworkers. You're in a relationship with strangers. There might be a few people in the world that have absolutely no human contact with anybody, completely off the grid, but even then, there's a relationship with themselves. Or relationship with nature. Relationship with animals. We are relational beings, and it is a very important aspect of our lives. And so having wise, skillful, right relationships. Something to cultivate. But when we're entering relationships, what is wise view, right view of relationships? It's entering knowing that this too shall pass. This is impermanent. This will change. One day, every relationship ends. If it's a romantic relationship, it ends through separation or death. Every relationship ends. Sometimes they end really fast. Sometimes they last a whole lifetime. But if we don't enter with impermanence in mind, at least this monk says they end faster. Because if we think they will last forever, we don't put in the needed effort to keep the relationship going. I don't have the cup. This is the infamous story of Ajahn Chah about the cup. Imagine this is glass. This is a glass bottle. Well, in this glass bottle, there are microscopic cracks. It's already cracked. And because it's already cracked, it's already broken. It's impermanent. It's not going to last. But because I know it's cracked, I know it's broken, I'm really going to be mindful and take care of it because maybe I have a little attachment to this cup. But I know it's broken. I've entered that relationship with this cup knowing it's impermanent. But every microscopic crack eventually will become visible and break. That's the nature of glass. Glass nature is to break. So all relationships are like glass. They all have a microscopic crack. That is why you look after it and you take care of it. Of course, you look after that which is extremely valuable only when you realize that it can be broken very easily. And that's the power of actions and speech. You can put a lot of effort, a lot of care into a relationship, be it with family, friends, romantic partners, and all it takes, one unskillful word, one unskillful action, one slip of mindfulness, and that relationship, there it is, the hammer to the glass. That's how quick it can end by one slip of mindfulness, if we fail to take care of how we are relating with life and with others. So the impermanence is not the problem. Things change. That's reality. That's nature. Our view is aligning. It's having that realistic view, aligning with reality. What's the problem is our attachment 
are craving that it lasts, that it be permanent, resisting nature, trying to make it permanent, which is impossible. So unless you're enlightened, all of our minds are filled with ideas, opinions, views, many of which are arise out of greed, aggression, and delusion. All of our minds, unless we're enlightened, we all are ignorant to some extent. We are not seeing clearly. That water of the mind, that lake, that pond, it has ripples. It is distorting our reality. Some days it's worse than others. So right view, if anything, that's it. What is creating the peace? the harmony, that alignment with reality, what is directing us to the non-greed, non-aggression, non-delusion, that is how you know you are walking out of right view. So that was all relative truth. So in relative truth, there's right views and there's wrong views. But ultimate truth, all views are wrong views. No view can ever be the truth. It's that concept. It's that sunrise. Are you speaking and thinking about the sunrise or actually being with the sunrise? Your concepts or perceptions of reality are not reality. They're distortions. They're dreams. Everything is like the dream. That's an interesting, that was trippy when I realized that, like, okay, if I'm dreaming and it's really vivid, the same activity is happening when I'm awake. The dream world and the waking world. The mind is still creating that reality like it's a dream. It's just different doors that is getting interpreted. So this practice of right view we start with the concepts, we do our morality, purify speech, action, livelihood, do the meditation, and out of that we go beyond the concepts and really arise at this clear scene, at wisdom. Buddhism is not a collection of views. From the viewpoint of ultimate reality, right view is the absence of all views. Good luck. And finally, I'll end with a quote from Ajahn Chah. All our feelings should be drawn inwards to be turned into right view. So all our experiences, all our life should be used to cultivate right view. The sights we see, the sounds we hear, the odors we smell, the flavors we taste, and so on. The mind draws them all inward to converted be into right view. Those feelings, those experiences, thus give rise to wisdom. All of life is your teacher. All of life is fertilizer for this practice. The stinkier it is, the more crappy it is, sometimes that's the best fertilizer you can have.
So that's what I got on right view. So hopefully you got something out of it. Contemplate it. Practice it. Cultivate it. And then next month, we'll start talking about some intentions. Glad you all are here. I'm glad you all could make it. I love the fact that you give me the opportunity to teach. And this too is a practice for me. So I really do hope it benefits you and you can take this and go benefit others. May it be so. Thank you for listening. We know your time is valuable, so we are grateful you choose to spend it with the MOI community. This podcast is supported by listeners like you. To make an offering, please visit us at mindfulnessoutreachinitiative.org. And tune in each week for more Dharma talks, reflections, and teachings centered in the insight meditation tradition.